everybody and welcome to water wine time with megan weaver love life and entertainment welcome everybody for those watching on periscope and listening on the podcast we have a lot of people joining on periscope i like that see look hello from turkey bam all right i like how things started um, on periscope so just to let you guys know who i have on my podcast today we have carl seaton the very talented original Got you twist and turn and all his stuff that he's working on. Always keeping you on your toes. Working on um, of boys and men, uh, web series, uh, Shadow and Act, and also Front Seat Chronicles. So let's go ahead and talk as we're in Florida. We've got people shouting out there. So continue to do your shout outs there. So you guys know we have Carl Seaton, director, writer, and editor. So say what's up to everybody. What's up, everybody? How you all doing? All right, so let's talk about something, the good news that you heard today about Shadow and Act. Yeah, so uh, I did a, uh, so they have a, uh, a segment called Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and uh, they want filmmakers to submit films uh, surrounding that topic. So uh, I did a film last year that I submitted to them just to, you know, keep the movement going uh, surrounding uh, the whole Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman thing. So they posted it today, so it's on Shadow and Act today uh it's a competition but i'm not really all about the competition just look they, they submitted five films to premiere today and mine was one of the five so check out all of them uh they're definitely worth examining so it's all about the whole campaign about uh black lives matter in an artistic fashion cool and what's the website uh shadow and it's uh indie wire it's blog indie dot shadow and act got it com. yeah and let's also talk about uh, Front Seat Chronicles mm-hmm. and how you got involved with that. And there are two projects that you work with Front Seat Chron- Chronicles. Yeah, so I uh, I did a short film called Kareem a couple years ago. It was a, uh, a silent film that kind of chronicled the violence. It touched on the violence in Chicago. Chicago I'm from Chicago originally, and uh, I was kind of motivated by the violence in Chicago to uh, make some, a film about that. And uh, that film got me that attention to... Uh, do a couple episodes of uh, Front Seat Chronicles. Yeah. Um, just for the uh, people on Periscope, if you could re-ask the question again. I think you probably were asking the question while we were doing the introduction. So that would be great. I got you for the question. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. So for 12 months, I tried to be in movies but didn't go so well, so I stopped trying. Um, is there a question maybe with that? Is there a reason why maybe you stopped trying? Are you looking for... What exactly were you looking for? 12 months. Mm. I think that's what the problem is, in my opinion. Yeah. What gotta, do you think the problem is with that? I mean, you can't put a time limit on it, man, because this game is definitely... And also, you have to ask yourself, what exactly do you want uh, to get out of it? And if uh, you want to get in the movies, you can make your own. Do you want to just act? Do you want to write? Do you want to direct? You know, you have to look at it. How, however you want to get in it and, and kind of create your own plan. But you also can't put a time limit on it because it's not really designed. Like, if you go to dental school and come out, or medical school as a, to study you know, dentistry, you come out as a dentist. It's not really like, this, this industry isn't designed like that. You kind of have to formulate a different way. And no, no one way works for everybody. You know, there's no certain path for everybody. Mm-hmm. So they want to know, is there any secrets to getting into the business? Uh, secrets, hard work, and consistency. That's the, I would say, yeah, hard work and consistency. They, they, they always, people always look for this million dollar technique to get into the industry and there's no really one way, like I said, anything, you, you can do one project that can go, that can garner a lot of attention and that can get you into the game. Or you can do 20 projects 
over a, a period of time that can get you in the game. There's no one way. So it, the best thing to do is to figure out what you're the most passionate about and follow that passion and fuel that passion. That's the best thing to do so that it doesn't feel like it's a job or that it's work because once it starts feeling like work, this, this industry is so difficult to navigate and to maintain. And if you're just doing it for a check or, you know, something like that, it, it, it'll, you'll burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. I like that answer. Uh, and they want to know, what's your favorite movie or favorite TV show? I'm adding TV show in there, too. Okay, favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, uh, In This City of God. I got a couple, but I'll stick with Shawshank and City of God for now. Uh, favorite TV show, two of them, uh, Breaking Bad and The Wire, okay. those two, yeah. I like those shows, too. Oh, Good yeah. one. I, I agree on those. I co-sign <laughs> with those. <laughs> uh, going back to the Front Seat Chronicles, I know you were saying, talking about your film, and let's just go back to that, and the two projects that you worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, and then so. what was the direction for that? So the first one was called uh, About That Life. And it deals with, uh, once again, I was also, it was also inspired by some of the violence going on in Chicago. So it's, it deals with gun control in Chicago and how, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's very violent in Chicago right now because a lot of people have access to guns. And I want to touch on that, but I want to put a twist on it where you have somebody, you know, from the neighborhood who's no longer part of the neighborhood but still wants to kind of uh, get, uh, get, get a gun. And uh, there's some twists and turns that happen in that little uh, sequence that you know reveal his perspective his uh his uh com- his adversary's perspective and it gives you a, 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 a overall view of what's going on in Chicago in terms of how easy it is to get guns and things like that mm-hmm. and then the second one is called uh turn down for what which chronicles two friends supposedly supposedly going out for the night but uh their plans get changed when one of them obtains uh some key information or uh, someone's address. I'll leave it at that. I don't, I don't want to give away yeah. too much of the story, let you check it out. But they're both on frontseatchronicles.com. It's its own website. Uh, like I said, one of them was posted on Shadow Act earlier today. So take a look at them, check them out, leave a comment. You know, hit me at, at C-Tone if you have a comment after you check it out or something like that. We can discuss it even further. So, yeah. Got it, got it. Now, one thing I forgot to mention in your intro is that you are also co-chair at the DGA for the African American Steering Committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, um, oh, someone said they're going to definitely check them out. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate cool. it. And thanks for the hearts. I don't know if that was you or someone else, but thank you for that. Uh, so just so you guys know that are watching or listening, the DGA is the Directors Guild of America. You know, there's unions that protect you when you're in the industry. If you're invited in, you have to be invited into these unions and they protect you. Um, yeah, so that's what the DGA is, and Carl is a co-chair for a part, uh, part of the DGA, yeah, mm-hmm. which is the African American Steering Committee. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just so you guys know that before we go into that, uh, how did you get involved with that? How did you get that position? And what is your journey and your things that you're doing as the co-chair? Okay, so uh, my second film of Boys and Men got me into the DGA, the Directors Guild. And uh, so there's been a subcommittee called the African American Steering Committee that's been in existence since uh, 1994. And I would attend meetings and everything like that. But in, I, I was nominated uh, a year and a half ago to serve as a co-chair. And as a co-chair, you're kind of responsible in carrying the baton to uh, keep the movement. So basically our, our main concern is to address the needs and concerns of uh, director guild members of color. And like right now the biggest thing is the push for more diversity in the industry overall in terms of television as well as film. So we are kind of a part of that forefront. It's us. It's us. It's the 
Asian American Committee, the Latino Committee, the Women's Committee. Then there's a diversity task force as well. And they were all designed to work together to help uh, increase diversity in the industry. And it's, uh, we've, we've been making serious inroads. You know, it's a political minefield. It's a, it's, it's, it's a business and it's an industry. So you learn, you know, that though it's a creative landscape, it's also a corporate landscape as well. So it's figuring out ways to maneuver in there as well as, well as to push the, the, the needle for diversity so that there are more opportunities and more stories for people of color and more opportunities for people of color to write and direct and things like things like that. So you were invited based on your uh, of Boys and Men to be well, a part that of Well, that film went union, and mm-hmm. when, when a film goes union, you are uh, eligible to become a member. So you, you can join either that way or your film can, if, if you do a film and it obtains major distribution, you're also invited and then you get a, or you can, uh, those are the main two ways in terms of feature films. If you were to direct an episode of television, you're also invited in that way. So you have feature films, you have television, you also have commercials as well. So if you do mm-hmm. commercial work, you can also get into the DJ that way as well. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the question from Periscope. Do you know about Casting 360? And is that something that you use for your casting? Uh, as of late, I have not used Casting 360, so uh, I, um, I'm familiar with it, but I have not used it. No, I'm kind of old school with the casting directors, and in cert- depending on the type of project, like certain projects, I can just cast out of you know ca- talented actors and actors that I know or that I've seen, you know, in various projects. Which is so actors and actresses just know this: whatever you're doing, somebody's always watching. So always put your best foot forward because even this, even if it's a three-minute YouTube clip, it could generate a response from somebody and say, let me reach out to this person. And nowadays, because of social media, I can see something on YouTube that impresses me, see who was in it, see their Twitter tag or whatever, and send them a message saying, hey, I got a project I think you'd be ideal for. So a lot of, because of social media and technology, a lot of middlemen have been cut out. So, you know, if you're ever working in a project, you know, take it seriously because you never know who's watching. Mm, Very true. Now, another question was, what do you think about art movies and European style movies? I love them. I love, I, love, I love foreign films because that, that level of storytelling is always pushing the envelope and it's, it makes you think. It's more it's thought-provoking. It's not lazy. So I, I love... Art house films have their own little niche and they're not for everybody. I get that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, several of them are very special and they can really they can really remind you about how great, you know, the, the cinema can be, you know. And where do you watch your, you know, European films and the art films? Do you... Are they in festivals, or how do you go about reaching out and broadening that out? Uh, several ways. You know, I mean, Netflix has a great, you know, array of uh, foreign films. And so what I do, I mean, everybody's on Netflix Instant now, which mm-hmm. is great. But you got to keep at least one DVD out because there's certain films that will never be on Instant or that are not on Instant that are amazing films that you want to be able to experience. So so Netflix is, is, is a great way. And then you have film festivals. And then, you know, being in L.A., we have various art house theaters you know, like Sunset Five and so forth. They always have, you know, foreign films that are coming on and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, Now, we also know that you are a writer, and mm-hmm. you write all your stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have a writer's group. Yes. So let's yes. talk about the writer's group and your <laughs> sessions. And <laughs> We've talked about this, but I want you guys to hear this because I think it's, it's amazing that you're doing this. So Okay, so... I write, but I'm not the kind of writer that writes every day and that can write 30, 40 pages in a night. I'm not that kind of writer. I'm, I'm a writer that I respond well to accountability. So what I did was reached out to other writers who write in that same vein, and I created a group called Band of the Hand. And if you're familiar with Band of the Hand, it was a 
dope-ass movie from the 80s about five thugs who were thrown into the Florida Everglades and trained on survival tactics by this uh, Indian named Joe. And after they survived these several tests and learned the lessons, they were brought back to Miami, where they ended up going to war with a, a local drug dealer all the way up to the uh, uh, drug cartels. A great movie in the 80s. It's kind of hard to find nowadays. Really hard to find, actually. But uh, So I base it off that, about how you know each person holds the other one accountable. So the group, start. we started back in February. We each all, all had one sense ideas. And we started from there, building from the one sense idea to you know, log line to theme to synopsis to uh, to a point where we started writing, you know, 10 pages a week. So we would turn our pages in, and then uh, if you didn't have your pages, the punishment would be feeding the group. So we, we wouldn't tax you with money, but you'd have to feed everybody. So that kept everybody kind of on their square where you had to constantly be mindful of your page, your page count to turn them in and, you know, and uh, make sure you were constantly thinking about your screenplay. And it was a great exercise because – like I said, your, your screenplay constantly stays on your mind. You're constantly thinking about it. You're constantly turning out pages, so you're constantly turning out products. So it really it, it intensifies your work ethic without it, without you even realizing it, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, so do you have a project that you're most proud of? It's uh, like your special baby? I got a couple, actually, man. My first feature one week I'm most proud of because everybody said we couldn't do it. You know, we, we were going to shoot a feature film on 35 millimeter in like 16, 17 days, and Everybody talked to us like, no, don't do that. Don't do that film. You should just wait, just wait. And, you know, luckily the team I was with, we all just ignored it. And uh, I am in. Oh, who's asking if you're local in Miami or Chicago? I am in neither. I'm in L.A. actually. But I'm from Chicago originally. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So going back to. But like I said, my first film one week was a great experience because it's a great example of, you know, once you create, once you get an idea. And you fuel it with your passion, your drive, despite the fact that you may not be prepared or have the money or even be ready. You know, your will can actually bring something to manifest. So it's a great example of manifestation. Now, let's talk about what that did after you had that out mm-hmm. and the opportunities that presented for you afterwards. Oh, it was great. I mean, the traveling. Know, yeah. The, okay. So. Because the film dealt with HIV, it's, it's called One Week. It, it's currently airing on Bounce. It's funny because the movie's like 14 years old, but it's still pretty relevant because of HIV in the African-American community. So uh, because of that, it, it's currently airing on Bounce. It's also available on Netflix in terms of DVDs. It's not on Instant anymore. It was on Instant. Back before Instant blew up, it was on Instant, but it's on DVD still. Um, so after the film came out, um, uh, the sorority Delta Sigma Theta they, their whole plight or their whole mission is to serve in the African-American community. And at that time, they were really all about HIV in the African-American community. And one a chapter here in L.A. heard about our film and had a screening for it. And the screening went well. And, uh, you know, afterwards we talked about the making of the film as well as, you know, the impact of HIV in our community. And they spread the word throughout the country. So they started flying us around and, you know, showing the films and things like that. So, uh, you know, it, it became its own other thing before it, it, before it was released on DVD. Mm. So, yeah, so, it was cool. You never know. Like, that's not something that you had planned. But no, no. Didn't this see is that what I want to do. Yeah, didn't, didn't see that coming at all because, you know, you, you know, as when you're a filmmaker, you're not thinking about public speaking or talking to audiences, but then you have to realize that when you make films, especially when you're trying to make a film of substance and, and that it moves people effectively, they want, it's more than just a film. It becomes more of a movement. So, mm-hmm. you know, to support that, it involves discussion, Q&As, and, and feedback mm-hmm. and things like that. So it became 
a situation where people would see the film and it would spawn testimonies and people sharing and people talking about their experiences with HIV and so forth. So it became its own entity. Like you said, it's a baby that was birthed and once it was birthed, it matured into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about an actor that you want to work with? Or past or present? I mean, alive. Actors yeah. that I want to work with. <laughs> uh, man, that's funny because uh, I used to have that that wish list thing, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't really subscribe to that anymore. I just I, I love to work with actors that are committed, that uh, that aren't really uh, that are that are about the work and not about all of the other intangibles. But let me see if there's somebody in particular I would like to work with. Uh, hmm. Let me see. Let me come back to that one. Okay. Let me think it that. could be that person. That gave up after 12 months. It could be, yeah. You know, because I don't know your skill level, but they could be very talented. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, and if anybody that's trying to pursue a dream, even if it's not filmmaking, it can be any dream, don't put a time limit on it because you just set yourself up for failure. Just put your, invest yourself, your time in it, you know, and look at it as like, for example, in the book Outliers, they say, you know, to master something, it's going to take a minimum of 10,000 hours. So, you know, if you if you approach it from that standpoint, you really can't put a time limit on how long it'll take to accrue 10,000 hours. Just look at the journey and ignore the outcome. And that's what happens with a lot of people that really succeed. They don't really look at the outcome or the destination. They look at, okay, this is what I'm doing now, and I love what I do, so I just keep doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about, I know you're saying talented people. Oh, let's see. I'm just, not too long ago, a 12-month membership was casting. Okay, yeah. So you're saying he's not familiar with casting 360. Mm-hmm. So that's not something that, you know, I don't know if that was a question that you were asking on Periscope, but that's something I'll look up as soon as the podcast is over, find <laughs> out about it, so we'll learn something new about casting 360. Uh, yeah, so I know you were saying talented actor who didn't have anybody pinpointed off the top mm-hmm. of your head that yeah. right now that you want to work with. But what about, have you had any experiences on set that you're like, man, this is going to be challenging? Or you're like, ooh. That person was rough to work with. Um, yeah, well, that yeah. comes with the territory, you mm-hmm. know, especially when you start working with uh, actors with a degree of familiarity, you know. And, it, and it's funny because on-set politics is something that people rarely ever talk about, but you have to learn and incorporate into your skill set as a filmmaker because you're going to have to deal with it. And you, you approach it as best you, well, if you try to focus on just the work, that helps, but you also want to, you know, become more of a, you have to approach it from more of a psychological perspective and look at, okay, what needs to be accomplished, how best to do it, you know, when to compromise. And it's all relative. It's, no like, it's not like certain things you compromise on, certain things you don't. You just have to kind of formulate, excuse me, your game plan and say, mm-hmm. okay, this is how I'm going to approach this with this particular person. Because some people need to be enabled and handheld, and some people need a stern, firm hand. So you have to learn to gauge personalities as soon and as, as quickly as possible. So it's just... as as a filmmaker, what I do as practice, even when I'm not making a pro- working on a project, is observe people. You know, you study their nature, you study their character, and how they respond and, and interact with people. And the more you observe people, you you, be- you get a better gauge on how to uh, approach certain people. Because some people need to get cursed out, and that's what makes them effective. Some people, you curse them out, you lose them, and you can't really afford to lose somebody in the midst of a production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, not putting names or you know certain situations out there, but the situation that you've been in, or if you have been in one, how did you handle it? With, uh, with a diva, a devo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, 
it all starts with communication. You know, you mm -hmm. want to make sure you have an open line of communication as effective as possible. And then also you want to be as clear as you can with what you want. You know, when you're ambiguous or you're vague about something, you leave yourself room for, you know, loose interpretation. So mm -hmm. the more specific you can be about something, the better. And also asking them, you know, their 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 uh, their opinion about it. involving them in the process. You know, this isn't a di dictatorship. You know, so when you involve them in the process and, and look to them for their ideas and incorporate their ideas when when possible, that that keeps them engaged as well. And that, give, that gives them a sense of okay, I, I bring value to this as well. So it's it's a mutual it's a dance. So you learn how to 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 dance with specific people. As best you can. So, like I said, it's a, it's like I said, it's a song and dance, but you know you learn how to give and take. You know, because mm -hmm. you can't just t constantly take, take, take. You have to give as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, your inspiration for your stories, where do you get them? Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I read a lot. You know, it's funny. You know, because it, if you go to Facebook and newspapers, it's constantly stories happening. It's constantly different tales being told about the human spirit that you can, if, you, if you're looking properly, you can say, I can take a piece of this story and a piece of that story and a piece of this and create a whole different story, which gives it a whole different fresh perspective. So I'm constantly looking at different ways, different tales, different, different people that have inspired or, or, or somebody with an inspiring tale, like, wow, that was pretty dope or unique stories that you haven't really heard about that could be insightful or entertaining. More so than anything is entertaining. You know, you forget that this is the entertainment business. So, Certain stories may be great stories, but they aren't the most uh, marketable. So, you, as a filmmaker, I've learned to broaden my com to, to. I learned about the concept of commercial viability. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Do you have a life motto? Art is a lie that allows us to see the truth. I can tell that was your motto too. Yeah, like you could, like you said that with <laughs> yeah. confidence. You're that's like, my joy. that's it. Yeah. Now, where did you find that? Is that something that you know? I found it. In a random at a random art show, mm. and uh, it, it was so pr profound to me because I said art is a lie, but through well done art, it does allow you to see various elements of truth. So I always strive to, and because you know, film is all man, it's all manufactured. But if it has a level of authenticity, it it transcends that manufactured appeal and becomes something real, and that's how it affects somebody. It, mm. it moves you because you believe what you're watching. Mm, mm. So I that's like what I say. It's the lie that allows you to see the truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they like that too. They were like, I like that. One. Oh, cool. So cool. they might be stealing that. Too. Take it. Take it. <laughs> take share it. it. It's for you. It's share for you. It. Yeah, share it. Uh, now, I know you were talking about the style of your writing, but what do you feel is your niche? You know, is it comedy? Is it drama? Do you, is it thriller? What are you most passionate about? You know, it's funny because it's an amalgamation of all of those. It's comedy because mm -hmm. I, I write drama. Drama is my foundation. But there's elements of comedy in it and elements of thriller in it as well, as well as action. So, mm -hmm. but uh, my specific niche is is talking mm -hmm. about uh, is exposing the complexity of African American men. Mm. That is that's what I've, I've realized in my in my journeys and my travels. What appeals to me are stories that reveal you know various layers of the African American man and his perspective. Mm -hmm. And how important do you feel like it is to collaborate and to work with people instead of working in a vacuum? Like how you were saying with your writer session. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that is important to be in this business and collaborating? Absolutely. Absolutely. And why so? Well, this business is you. This isn't a. Uh, this business isn't based on you know solo outings. You have to collaborate. 
even if even if you write a screenplay, even if you were to make a film, you can't do everything yourself. You can't hold the camera and do sound. This this one man machine thing doesn't really happen, and you don't really want that type of. Uh, for me personally, I don't want that type of experience because I've learned sometimes through collaboration, the, especially positive collaborations, you can improve. If someone can bring something to the table with their unique perspective that can totally elevate a piece that you didn't even see coming. But once they introduce it, it just elevates everything and takes it to another level. So collaboration is definitely imperative. Now, what is most important with collaboration is collaborating with the right people, mm. you know, cause you can have, you know, a negative person you collaborate with that can totally derail an entire project. So you want to make sure you're collaborating with people that are like-minded, that are as passionate as you, as crazy as you, and even more talented than you. That, Cause that will make you rise to the occasion and make you learn and, and become a better, uh, you know, content creator as well. So collaboration is definitely key. And especially it was, was really being evident. If you see what's going on on like YouTube and these various, uh, uh, comedy sketches and like that you see a lot of people collaborating and they put out more content they work they work more efficiently and it's much more creative it's much more entertaining so you know working in a vacuum you, eventually you're going to have to come out of the vacuum mm. eventually you can't stay in that vacuum so it's not to be even a realistic thing so you come out of the vacuum you collaborate you know you can you elevate your craft mm-hmm now, what's your L.A. story? Because I know a lot of people that live in L.A. are not from L.A., hence mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. Maryland. Mm-hmm. But how did you get here? What was your story getting to L.A. and making that move? Uh, so yeah. we, uh, my, my, my buddies at the time, Kenny Young and Phil James, we had done my first film one week, but we were still in Chicago. And uh, we had been doing these little shorts at the time, and we'd send them out to this thing out here called Doughboy's Dozens. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so Doughboy's Dozens was this event that held, was held the last Wednesday of every month in Lamert Park in L.A. And uh, we would send him shorts all the time. So one short we sent to him got a lot of laughs and got the attention of uh, Robert Townsend. Mm. So he got our information from Doughboy, contacted us, and hired us to write a screenplay for him. And we met with him in Chicago. And he's like, why are you guys not in L.A.? And we're like, we hadn't really thought about making that transition. So he kind of planted the seed to move out here. And, uh, and then based on the screenplay we wrote for him, uh, we use that money to finish the film as well as move out here as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how I got out to L.A. because it wasn't even a thought at first. We were just going to stay in Chicago and keep making films. But uh, once we're given that, like, validation, like, you guys should be out here where the industry is, we just kind of migrated out this way. Hmm, got it. Yeah. Now, what are you working on currently? What are some projects that you have kind of mapped out for this year? Okay, so uh, I'm working on one thing I can't really discuss because uh, – yeah, I can, uh, so I'm working on a screenplay I just finished called Line about a bunch of fraternity brothers that have to uh, rejoin together after 10 years to save another frat brother. It's, mm. it's an action comedy, so getting that together. I'm trying to formulate that project to get that off the ground in the next couple of months. So, mm-hmm. yeah, screenplay's done, so attaching elements and trying to uh, get the financing for it so I can rock and roll with it. Got so, it. Yeah. So as you guys know, of course, when you're in this business, you do have to have some you time. Mm-hmm. You got to have some personal time, you know, some time <laughs> for you. So when you're not working on your projects and doing entertainment and writing and directing, what do you like to do in your spare time? Uh, exercising is important. Mm-hmm. I like to exercise. Reading and watching films. I always like to watch films. I love to discover new, new, new stories and, uh, you know, new techniques. So And a lot of reading, though, a lot of reading. I'm really big on reading. Reading is like food for the mind so you know hit the libraries and the bookstores and stuff like that mm-hmm. so you know i'm a i'm a nerd man so i just 
it's fucking kind of being this business, you know. I suppose some you people know are. some people are, you know. You know, because I think you know to be creative and to be a little technical on the aspect of like directing and editing, kind of be a little nerd. A little yeah, you bit. want yeah you want to be well versed. You yeah. know, you want to know what you're talking about. So you know, you, it's a constant educational process. You know, you constantly reeducating yourself. So mm-hmm. you know, learning things. So just because I didn't put in the title of this Periscope, but obviously those listening to my podcast know the title of my podcast is called Water or Wine Time. But I know I said at the very beginning this too, but not the title of it. So those that are joining. And we are drinking water today. <laughs> water, yes. We are drinking water. Why is it that we are drinking water as opposed to wine on your behalf? Uh, I don't drink. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. drink. I, I, I don't drink anymore. I stopped drinking about 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let the liquor go. Uh, I fell asleep. I'm a lady reader, and I, a lazy reader, and I fell asleep reading my own writing. Well. Okay. I think we should probably write something. Maybe you need to change up your writing. Yeah, if you fell asleep reading your own writing, uh, you know, writing is rewriting. Yeah, that's the yeah. biggest thing. Writing is rewriting. They want to know if you're a religious man. I am not. No. End of that. There we go. But uh, going back to the the drinking, so I know you were telling me last week mm-hmm. why you don't drink. <laughs> so <laughs> I was training for a marathon. And I noticed how I felt from drinking liquor while running, and I, I cut running, I cut the drinking out until I completed the marathon. And I just never went back to liquor. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And that's because of not drinking. Oh no, it's, no, I don't have a problem with anybody oh, drinking. It's a okay. personal, it's a personal preference. Yeah, not a religious thing. Yeah, it's not. Oh, it's okay. not a religious yeah, thing. Yeah, no. just uh-uh. personal. There no. we go. So that's okay. I was wondering. I was like, oh, I guess I, I can see why somebody would see think you're a religious person if you don't drink. Yeah. Yeah, because I think some religions. Well, I don't think any religion you're supposed to get drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I don't know where that religion but yeah, it's definitely, is. It's definitely not but yeah, for certain religions, you're not supposed to drink at all. Yeah. Just yeah. like for a Muslim, I think you're not supposed to eat pork. pork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know. Any other ones, I, I don't know about. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> I get why she could ask. That yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of thrown yeah. too. I was like, I was confused, but then yeah. thanks for clearing that up because yeah. I was a little confused too. But thank you for that. Yeah. Um, did you always know you want to be a filmmaker? I didn't. No, I. I uh, I uh, got that drive. That seed was planted after I saw Do the Right Thing in the summer mm-hmm. of 89. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, I was so moved by that film. I said, this is what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Didn't know how to go about it, what way the steps to take, but I said, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that started that path. So I was, uh, I was 17 at the time. So, got it. Yeah. So what did you want to do before that? You know when you're a kid, you always say, oh, I want to be this when I grow up. Oh, I thought up. I was going to be a football player. Got it. I just okay. knew I just knew I was gonna play for the Chicago Bears and take over from Walter Payton and all that good stuff. So that's what I thought. You like I know exactly who I'm taking over oh, for. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like you he'll need be, to move over. Like he'll still be playing. I'm like, all right, I got it from here, dude. But like tag, know. go ahead and tap out. Yeah. You go ahead and sit on the bench for a while. Yeah. I'm taking over. Yeah, that, was, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, by the way, I'm watching your stream from Istanbul, Turkey, miles away. Thank you oh, for nice. watching that. Istanbul. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh yeah, so have your parents been Supportive. I know with the entertainment business, not only everyone's always like, "Oh yeah, great, go ahead, do mm-hmm. the entertainment business." So, what were their thoughts? You know what? I have to give my parents props because they didn't they didn't really understand what I was embarking on, mm-hmm. but they had enough wherewithal to not get in the way to say, "You sure you want to do that?" They're like, "If that's what you really want to do, go ahead." You know, because I know a lot of not just parents, but people close to you, be it family members, be it spouses, siblings. They love you, so in their love for you, they will clearly try to kill your dream. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, thank God, neither one of my parents ever attempted to kill my dream. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you say for those that do struggle with that? Because I actually know someone. I'm going to get her to listen and get people to listen. And she's like, my parents are always telling me to come back. Because she's not from L.A. She's from Egypt. Mm. And her parents say, come back home. Get a real job. Get this. But if you know that that's what you want to do, what would you suggest for them in that in that situation for those that aren't supportive? Well, I mean, well, you, I mean, not, not everybody has that that support from family and things like that. So you you, you have to even solidify your own su- sense of support, you know. And like, what she has to really look at is it, how would she feel if she were to go back home, and how miserable she could possibly be if she were to do that. So that should trump anybody else's wishes because. I mean, anybody can say, and, and, and her parents aren't bad people. They probably want the best for her. Mm-hmm. So they're probably like, yeah, you should come home. We could take, you know, you'd be safe. You'd be this and that. But she would probably be miserable. Mm-hmm. And so she has to constantly remind herself, like, this is what I'm doing. And this is why I'm doing it. And this is where I want to go. So, you know, it's a constant, it's a daily effort that you have to put forth for self, you know, just, just to kind of strengthen yourself and your resolve so that you don't fall prey to, you know, the Debbie Downers and the pity parties and the, you know, the negative people and things like that because they are all around you. You're constantly being bombarded with some various form of negativity telling you to stop and wise up and so forth. So you have to constantly remind yourself and you know arm yourself with uh, you know the wherewithal to keep going. Mm-hmm. So they were just asking if you have a family of your own, kids. No children, mm-hmm. no wife, no. Mm-hmm. No. So how did, well, I guess we'll just go ahead and move on to that since you brought it up. Moving <laughs> oh, on. Oh, oh Lord. Uh-oh. It's like, oh, look what they just started. Is like, it time to go? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Did this it's happen now? time to like, go. I think it is that time. It's, it's not time. time. It is time. <laughs> it's not that time to end the podcast. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. Because <laughs> right. okay. we all know uh, the title, Love, Light, Love, Love, um, Your Love. Yeah. So no wife. No wife. No girlfriend. No girlfriend. Okay, so is this uh, something that you would like to have? Is you know, do you want to get married? Do you see that in your future, or have kids, or what are your thoughts on that for you? Right now, that's not really. It's never really been something that I uh, aspire to achieve. You know, the concept of marriage. I have my own opinions about marriage and things like that. I'm getting the hearts going. Getting, now. Okay. I think we have. Okay. <laughs> I think we have a wife that's watching. Oh wow! Okay. So Carl's wife, uh, we have a uh, Mrs. Seaton that's oh, wow, all right, watching. Right I mean, now. I, I am I'm dating, you know, mm-hmm. dating someone's, but it's we're taking it extremely slow, so mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, I, I'm not in a rush to be in a situation or anything like that because mm-hmm. uh, people always want this this mandate, like, I got to get married, and don't really realize what it takes to be married. And I fortunately have experienced enough marriages and weddings to know exactly the output of work and effort both have to bring to the table for a marriage to uh, exist and, and survive. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I didn't say that all comes from dating. I see the heart stop. I'm sorry. Future. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Seaton just stopped. She was like, yes! Hearts, hearts, hearts. And I was oh, like, oh, wait. Man. You said you're dating someone. And then yeah. they, they stopped. I mean, I don't know who it is. Oh, no, they still... They still feel the love. They're like... What does the hearts mean exactly? The hearts just mean they just like what you're saying. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Or okay. maybe they just right. like your face. Yeah. I mean, marriage I isn't, marriage like isn't necessarily for uh, for everyone. You mm-hmm. know? And if you know... Well, first of all, you know, you really have to approach it with a full, you know, commitment. And a lot of people 
don't approach it from that perspective. They approach it with other things, like they worry about the size of the ring or the size of the wedding mm -hmm. or, you know, various elements around the relationship, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, they're saying five years ago I was dating now. We're together with a five-month-old. Okay, so someone. Oh, congrats to you. Congratulations. Congrats to you. Yeah. So you're probably up holding the baby right now and yeah. watching this on Periscope. I wish you the best with that. Yes, I wish you congrats. the best with that. It's all right. So how do you feel like it is dating in the entertainment business? Is, do you think it's easy? Do you think it's just like dating in any other profession? No, it's, it's, it's difficult because, well, for one, because of this, this industry, this isn't a nine to five industry. You know, it's, it's you work whenever you work. And that's number one. Number two, you have to be somewhat selfish about your career, self-centered, and that can affect how you date others, you know, and, and vice versa. But... It, so it's always, that's why people in the industry date other people in the industry because mm -hmm. they get the level of commitment and level of time that is required for, you know, for certain things. And someone that's not necessarily in the industry may not understand that. They may not understand mm -hmm. why are you getting up at six in the morning to go do something and not coming home till midnight? You know, why, why are you always gone and why are you not present? And, uh, you know, cause like I said, a nine to five is a pretty routine situation in our industry is everything but routine mm -hmm. sometimes. And sometimes someone that is used to a routine doesn't necessarily get that. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of drawn towards other people that understand this type of industry. Mm -hmm. So the person that you're dating now, are they in the industry? They are. Yeah. They are in the industry. So there is someone that understands the way, the yeah. long hours mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, um, what is the worst date you've been on? The worst date I've been on. We've all had one. <laughs> <sighs> Worst date I had been on. Uh, the worst date I've been. Oh, it was a blind date. Mm -hmm. A blind date with a woman who. Uh... Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the reaction everybody's face when they remember that situation. It's like, oh, that it was, one. It was a. It was a. It was a blind date that just didn't go. We we didn't see eye to eye on everything or anything. We mm -hmm. just. It was just not a, a, a mutual, it wasn't a date of mutual agreement, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. She was very, Wait, uh, there's got to be something that happened. <laughs> I'm not saying the name. You don't have to say, you know, first and last. No, we day. just didn't have anything yeah. in common. I'm like, uh -huh. I, 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 to the point where I had to ask my friend, like, why did you even think this would even work? Mm. Because I've been told I'm opinionated. She was extremely opinionated. And our views just clashed on everything. Yeah, so... It got to a point where we're in the middle, like, yo, this is like going absolutely nowhere. So let's just enjoy this food and just, you know, call it a quiz. That's probably the best part of the day. We both realized this was a disaster. So yeah, yeah. I think in those situations you could just make light about it and just yeah. laugh about and it. Laugh about it, right? And like, man, laugh, this right. is a, you know, at like, least the food is good. Right. We don't get along, but this right. chicken is good. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, it's what it was. Like, okay, let's get man. out of here with that. So. Uh, so they want to know, what age did you get into this profession? What age? Yeah. So I know you said at 17, that's when you realized yeah, you so wanted I went to be a filmmaker. To, I, I went to film school. So since I was in film school, I was, I've been in it since film school. So going back to my early 20s. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What about your first paid job? Because I always feel like that's when you know, or that's when you can actually say, I am. You know what's funny? So right out of, okay, so what I... When I graduated from college, I come from a big family. Like, my mom had 10 brothers and sisters. My dad had, like, 11 brothers and sisters. So, so for college graduation, I invited everybody, mm -hmm. knowing they weren't going to come. But, like, they'll send me money instead, which is what I really wanted in the first place. So, yeah. 
the money I I got for graduation, I used to shoot a short film. So I paid myself. That was my first job. I hired myself basically. Mm-hmm. So hire yourself, and that helps kind of fuel your belief in yourself, and then also kind of propel you on your own trajectory in terms of making films mm-hmm. and like that. So mm-hmm. I did that. I hired myself, and yeah, then uh, right. so and then yeah, hire myself and. It's always great when you get some validation from somebody that enjoys your work that you don't know. I mean, family will be like, oh, I liked it. It was good. And then you get somebody that is a complete stranger that is raving about your work. Like, why? Wow, it's genuine because he, mm-hmm. he or she doesn't know me. So, you know, it's, that's always, it's always great. So, mm-hmm. you know. Now, what about, I know you're saying how other people that don't know you and they say it's good. Have you sat in a theater and people didn't know that you were the director and hear them leaving and hear comments, you know, because when you leave the movies, people are talking about yeah the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, I didn't experience that with my first film, thank God. But uh, yeah, I don't really. I'm not that kind of person. I, I don't really watch my movies like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not one to sit in the audience. To, nah, I watch it to get it ready and get it as far as to completion as possible. But once it's out there, it's just out there. Mm-hmm. And if people respond to it, great. If they hate it. That's cool too, but I yeah I'm not in the back of the theater kind of keeping tabs and like nah mm-hmm. I'm not that kind of dude. I know some filmmakers that, that like that they can do that, but I'm not nah. Mm-hmm. Once it's done, it's out there and it can't be changed. Like it's gonna do what it's gonna do. Mm-hmm. So if you and but what I do do is I ask key people their how they responded to it so I can become a better filmmaker so mm-hmm. I can incorporate that into my skill set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, what do you think would be a good age to put my son into acting school? Uh, how, it depends on now. I mean, because there are child actors that can perform, that have it, that just have it. So, it, and it, well, more so than that, is your child passionate about it? Mm. You know, it, I mean, they may you may, you may want them to be in acting school, but they may not. They may want to be in music school or something like that. Oh, they said they're five months. Oh, give it a minute. <laughs> give That's it a minute. cute. Give it a minute. Give it a minute. Give well, it a minute. But you know what they have? I don't know if you live in L.A., the person asking the question, but they have newborns on for casting. That's true. And That's they true. have baby agencies. That's true. So if you live in L.A., you know, uh, you can act. That's the best time to get in, to be honest. Because if you're five months, this is just my food for thought, you don't have to have a resume. Yeah. You don't need to have any, ex- oh, Florida um, okay. Well, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's the same thing. You know, whatever agencies, I don't know how the Florida market like that, but in Florida, I'm pretty sure they still have agencies, child yeah. agencies, commercial town, agencies, commercial and, agencies yeah. and they're yeah. looking for kids. Yeah. And your five month old could play a newborn. Yeah. And I, I would just say this: uh, give it a minute. It's five months. I mean, pictures and things like that is one thing, but the thing about this industry, people don't really like to talk about, is it. It isn't a, an industry designed for children. It's a very adult-driven industry, mm-hmm. which robs children of their youth. So, you know, you want to protect your kids' youth. That's really important. A lot of kids, a lot of child actors get out of the business and never return. There's a reason why they never want to come back because of what they experience as children in this industry. You know, even with, with success, with the failure, with the rejection, you know, it's a lot. I mean, even as an adult dealing with rejection on a constant basis, you have to kind of build yourself up for that. And for a child who hasn't developed themselves yet, it's mm-hmm. even more difficult. That on top of the fact that, you know, you're surrounded by a bunch of adults that don't think like children or, or look at children as 
you know, uh, commodity that needs to be, you know, utilized for this particular production. So just be mindful of that with your child, you know, be protective of them. Mm-hmm. And since we're talking about child actors, uh, on my previous podcast, there is a child actor who's still working in the business. So I would look at or listen to his podcast, follow him, you know, figure out his process. His name is Gary Gray and it's meganawever.podbean.com. And I'll list it at the very end too, but he might be of help for you, you know, for a child actor's story, just to hear a little bit about it. And he was on the Cosby show and all that. So that's for that question. And, uh, yeah. So, oh, this is what I want to talk to you about. Now, going on a bigger scale, a bigger level, when you're pitching to studios, mm-hmm. your work, how is that? And how humbling is that experience for you when you're pitching your film to a network? Well, it's humbling because you realize they want, usually they want to appeal to the lowest common denominator. So they're always kind of trying to come up with ways to make it as commercial as possible. So you kind of learn to say, okay, how can I modify my script? So I don't want to lose the essence of what I'm trying to tell. So it becomes a, you have to navigate. In certain projects you say, okay, this is just for commercial appeal. And this is going to be more of a intimate type of thing. So you create, and you also, you don't just go to any studio with different projects. You, you're already doing your homework. Like, okay, this is something they're looking for, this little niche so I would take this here, or I take that there, and so forth. So it's all it's all strategic before you even get in the room. There's been a strategy that's been utilized to even get you in the room, so that when you're making that pitch, you don't have to. The goal is to not have to compromise any further in that regard. So, mm-hmm. but it's humbling because you can have a great idea that you think, and they will just shoot it right down. Like, and they'll, they'll, they're very matter of fact about it. like, yeah, that's a great idea, but it won't make any money, or it's this and that. So you have to constantly, you know. Prepare yourself for someone to tell you your idea sucks. Like, that shit sucks. That's, no. Right, what else you got? And then, mm. like, you may spend hours developing a pitch, and they'll just dismiss it. And like, okay, what next? What else you got? And like, okay, I'm moving on to next. So I would say when, you're, when you get to the level of, of presenting projects to studios to have more than one, you know, a minimum of three, because nine times out of ten, the one you may think is the dopest one, they'll be like, nah, I'm not feeling that. What else you got? Mm. So. You know, just just as a form of preparation. And then once you get into the room and they say, we like this idea, we want to move forward with it, do you feel like at that point, when you're talking to the execs, the big wigs, how much power do you think you have? Or how much power do you have? You have, you have no power. You, I mean, you, you have to realize what you are. You have to realize where you are because, you know, if you've, if you've created it, that gives you a, a certain degree of leverage until it's acquired. Once it's purchased... You can be fired off the project and so forth. So you want to constantly attach yourself as a producer to your content so you can see it develop and evolve. So, you know, but even then, that's not even promised because mm-hmm. producers get let go and, and released all the time. So you realize because they're the ones that are going to cut the check, they have all the power, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the power. But it's funny because the game has changed because of the Internet and social media where you can create your own content and retain all the power. Mm-hmm. And... The middleman is being cut out more and more every day. So dis- distribution is totally being you know, modified. So you can totally take the middleman out and go directly to your fan base. And because you can go directly to your fan base, that level of control that was once being held in such high esteem is starting to evaporate. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're creating, do you think with the mindset, okay, 
is this commercial? Is this something that a studio would want? Is this something that a network would want? Or are you more attached to telling that particular story? Well, no, I had to learn because, like I said, my first film one week was uh, it was it's a great story, but it wasn't the most commercially minded story. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll see films from time to time that are great films, but I'll never want to watch again. Like, okay, that was a great movie, but I don't ever want to see it again. So, I've had to learn as an independent filmmaker how important commercial viability is. You know, because if you have a film that nobody wants to see, it doesn't really matter how great it is. You mm-hmm. know, the goal at the end of the day is to make a film to be seen by as many people as possible. So you want to have some commercial viability. So it's about modifying your perspective and your voice to fit that without totally, quote unquote, you know, going too far, where it's just like, you know, sung out to a degree. And also, you want to have a film that you're proud of. Like, okay, this is the kind of film I want to watch or something like that. But that was, these are all lessons you have to learn. Like, you, you don't necessarily come in the game like that. You just want to come in the game making movies and you don't really think about all the elements that are in place for that film, like, you know, what's it about, its content, who its audience is, and things like that. So you start thinking about questions like that. Who would I market this film to? Who would I target for this film? You start thinking about that while you're making a film now. It makes you a better storyteller. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like that. Uh, do you think art really needs commercial? Someone said, do you think art really needs commercial? It doesn't need it, but it, uh, when you say art, it depends on the, 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 the form of art. I mean, if you paint, then you don't necessarily need it. You know, because it doesn't take much to paint, but in terms of filmmaking, it's such an expensive medium. You do need the commercial because it takes, it costs a lot of money to make a film. And even if you do like a, you know, a a renegade guerrilla film, you still require elements that require Mm -hmm. money, you know. So because of that, that's why the commercialization is such an integral part of filmmaking because it it costs so much to make films. Mm -hmm. I think what they were saying that I think art is for, sometimes for the community. But if you're doing it for filmmaking, you know, you're doing it to reach a lot of people to tell a story. It's a little bit different than painting and Mm -hmm. artwork on that aspect. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about filmmaking, then that's a different medium, if that's clear for the person asking that question. Because then art could just be for the community. But if you're doing a message or a project for the community, then that's what it would be. Mm -hmm. And you're not doing it for commercial success or yeah. financial but even if you're doing something for the community like a community documentary or something like that it's still it's still going to require some form of a budget to execute it properly so and that's the thing you always fall back on that you, eventually you're going to have to spend some money on this project mm-hmm. it's, it's just hard to negate you can navigate and cut as, lo- as many corners as possible on a guerrilla filmmaking you know slant but you're still going to have to spend money in some capacity be it in post-production Music, sound mixing is just technically you have to spend money. It's a technical thing. Mm-hmm. So that's true. That's of, even for art too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're still spending. Yeah, because paint is not cheap for these. You know, paint and these brushes and the, the canvas that's not cheap. So it's you gotta spend money. So yeah, unless it's a point. hobby. If it's a hobby, that's one thing. Then you're just doing yeah. it for the just love for of you. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you want to paint it, put it in your house, yeah. then that's cool. But if you want, you know, to get something out of it, then you do have to think about that kind of aspect. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you? What is complete success for you in this business? Do you feel like you're doing, you're at a place in your career and you're like, this is exactly where I want to be. I'm in my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Complete success is, well, everybody has a different degree of success. Mm -hmm. Like some people want to be like the next Tom Cruise. And to me, complete success is making film that I'm happy about and I have an overall degree of happiness. 
where I'm not dreading going to set. I'm not dreading having this meeting. I hate working with this person and so forth, where every day is enjoyable. I'm looking forward to experiencing this day with the team I'm around and, and the work we're creating. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is success. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you can sit back and say, I have not compromised my integrity, I enjoy what I'm doing, and I'm making some really quality stuff, that, to me, is success. Okay. You know, Because I've learned you can't really put a number on it because I know some very unhappy millionaires. And I know some people that are making $25,000 a year that are pretty happy. So mm-hmm. it's all relative. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I we were talking about your writer's group. Now, let's go ahead and talk about for a little bit your mentor or mentorship mentees. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of those or how was that relationship? Uh, or how did you go about finding any or do you not have those? You know, there are a couple of filmmakers that I reach out to and talk to often, like Bill Duke and, and uh, Reggie Hutland. Those guys are definitely instrumental. They give me a lot of insight. A lot of, I mean, because some of these brothers have experienced some things you can't even conceive of, and they can school you on things. You're like, I never even thought about that. And I pay it forward because there are a lot of filmmakers that I, I mentor as well, that I speak to. And I try to, if somebody wants to meet, I'll try to meet anybody at least once just to kind of, you know, share what I know with them and, and just kind of give them my perspective. I'm not telling them, do this, you better do this, because everybody's road is totally different, especially because this landfill has changed so much in the last five, five years, I say, five, six years, it's changed so much. So, uh, all I can do is tell them, you know, my opinion about certain things and, and, and not just that, but share my experiences and by sharing my experiences, I say, this is a lesson I paid dearly for. Mm-hmm. I give it to you for free so that you don't have to pay for that. Just like my, my mentor was like, you know, I'm, I paid for this lesson. I'm giving it to you for free. So mm-hmm. I, I say, so I say it's imperative that I incorporate that lesson that they give it to me for free that I didn't have to pay for. Cause I'm not really, if I can get those lessons without having to, sacrifice I'm definitely going to take that now did you go about meeting these directors did you say hey I want to get a little bit of knowledge from you or how did actually you those know, discussions I, happen uh my first film was actually your work is probably your best calling card I mean you can reach out to people all the time but they respond to your work mm-hmm. they'll, they'll they'll see your work and say okay this person has talent I will invest my time with them you know because it's all people realize time is the most expensive and most precious commodity and they say okay this person's worth my time and this person's worth my time and so forth. So my films garnered me a lot of that. They they were they would open the doors so when I I would inquire, I would be received in a in a in a pretty cool manner. So mm-hmm. you know, but not not everybody. You know, some people just some people just don't have the time or the desire to mentor or care about, you know, your evolution and your development and so forth. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind too. Not everybody cares about you, nobody not, not everybody's looking out for your best interest. You know, like I said before in this industry it's a very self-centered industry. So a lot of people are looking out for just themselves. And you can't even take it as a personal affront because that's what this industry is based on. Like it's personal advancement, mm-hmm. personal career advancement. So you just learn from that and say, okay, this is how this person rolls, so how do I interact with this person and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now how do you take that? Let's say, because this, in this business there's roller coasters. Mm-hmm. You got your ups and you got your downs mm-hmm. in this business. Yeah. So when you get a negative feedback or something that hits you, you know, kind of like a blow to your, your project. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that? Well, you know, initially, I mean, if you have a level of sensitivity, it's, it's tough. And some people, it could just slide right off of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I've learned to take a page from folks like that that can take that blow and don't let it stop. Them. So anybody that takes a blow, cause you, you're going to get rejection. You're going to get notes. You're going to get 
things that you're not going to like about something that involves your project. What you want to learn to do is keep moving. Don't let it shut you down. Don't, you know, don't check out. Just keep moving. Just say, okay, you know what? Let me take this level of discomfort and let me make this, let me take this level of discomfort and improve upon it so that I can, I can improve my project or I can improve myself as a, as a, as a business person, as a filmmaker, and so forth. So the worst thing you can do is take it and say, uh, and take it personal. That's the worst thing you can do is take it personal. Say, I'm the worst. They're talking about me. I have no value. I have no self-worth, and so forth. Don't do that. Don't take it personal. Your projects and your work are not you. They are a reflection of you, but they are not you. So if you can keep that, discon- that, that, that distance, that helps as well. And then you have to also say that some things I work, I create aren't for everybody. And you say, let me find who they are for. And like I said, going back to what, you know, a lot of these content creators are doing now, they're going right to their audience. You know, there's some people that make some stuff that's like, man, I hate that. But they have a huge audience for that, that likes what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's all about finding a group of people that like what you're doing and saying, give me more, give me more. That's what everybody, and that's, that's why everybody's all about building a brand now. Because when you build a brand, people get to expect, you know, when I, when I hear his name or I see his project, this is what I'm going to get from him and so forth. So that, that brand development is what's really become key now because so, if you can go directly to your audience that minimizes a whole lot of uh, a lot of time a lot of manipulation and, and revision mm-hmm. you know? now what about people that say I want to tell all aspects like I want to do comedy I want to do drama I want to do thriller I want to do sci-fi and they're all over the place mm-hmm. do you think that that could be detrimental to them or is that a good thing or a bad thing to want to do everything it's it's not a bad thing, but I think as they as they progress, they will figure out what really speaks to them. Because there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I love comedy, I love thriller, I love action, I love all these films. Because I watch all these different films, mm-hmm. and I, I get it. It comes from a place where I watch all these films, so I want to make all these films. So anything is possible. But I think as you progress and you learn more about yourself, you'll figure out which lane speaks to you more than other lanes, and you'll be like, okay. I'm good at this. I'm all right at this. I suck at this, but I'm great at this. Mm-hmm. So you, and as you evolve, you figure out what your lane is and you start to navigate more towards your lane. Mm-hmm. You know? But I mean, some people come out here all, all over the place. There's nothing wrong with that because you just have to kind of, as you progress, you'll figure out, okay, this works for me. This does not work and so forth. So, mm-hmm. but I would, I mean, if you can make a sci-fi film, then a thriller, then an action, then a drama, yourself out. I mean, look, look at Ang Lee. Ang Lee did, you know, Crouching Tiger, and he did Hulk, and then he did, you know, uh, Brokeback Mountain. So, all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, it can happen. Yeah, any, anything can happen, you know. If you set your mind to something, you know, and, and, and approach it with a discipline and a respect for the craft, you can make anything happen. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So, we're going to wrap this up. All right. I like that. Okay. You were right. saying some nuggets that someone was actually taking notes. Like, oh, this is okay. class. So oh, wow, okay. We just taught right. a master class. You didn't know that. I didn't know that. You no. just taught a master class. I thought oh, we just, just Do you have away. a goal that you want to reach someone, you want to stand up to, or just for the outcome, or goal? I'm not okay. sure I understand that question. Do I have a goal? Well, that was pretty much, uh, you guys can watch this again. <laughs> the goal when I was asking, you know, uh, complete success. We did, or he did answer that question, which I think would be your goal. Yeah, that'd be To yeah. reach complete success. So, mm-hmm. go back, um, well, watch it again, so we don't have to reiterate. Yeah. No, nobody to stand up to. I'm not at war or anything like that. So, you know. Like yeah. I said, 
I mean, you will run across people that do not have your best interests at heart that will try to derail you and everything like that. And the best thing for that is to not take it personal. Don't get vindictive. Don't hold grudges because grudges just become weights on your back and they start to hinder your progress. People always think I'm holding a grudge, skip that person or whatever, but you realize it's the one, it's holding you back more so than anybody. So I would say, you know, trying to stand up to somebody or do something just to get somebody back is a waste of energy. And focus your energy on things that help advance you and make you a better you as well as a better uh, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. All right, so now hopefully that's answered that question. Well, like a, unless you're going to reword it a little differently for the person that was asking about the goal, the outcome. But like I said, go watch the complete success answer. And so if you guys want to stay up to date and figure out what else Carl is up to and see the feature and yes. the other project we didn't mention because it's still in the workings. Yes. But if yes, you're yes. curious, you're like, I want to know what it is. You can find out if you're following him on yes. social media and stuff. Yes, yes. So where can they find you on social media? Well, I am on Twitter at uh, C-Tone, C-E-E-T-O-N-E. And then I am on, wow, I can't believe I'm saying this. I am on Instagram <laughs> at I am C-Tone, C-E-E-T-O-N-E. I am C-Tone. I just got on Instagram, y'all. I'm kind of new, so don't okay, be looking yeah. for a lot of posts. So this is all quite new to me. I am I was belabored, dragged into this social media world. Okay, yeah, I, I do have a question about that because we've okay. talked about uh-huh. the social media, and I thought about this. I was like, I wonder how he got into Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I asked him, I was like, wait a minute. You're not on Instagram and Twitter? <laughs> so you guys have to listen to previous podcasts because there are people that I've had on, as guests that are very active mm-hmm. on yeah. social media and that is like their platform mm-hmm. and that's their driving to, you know, stay in the loop with everything. So maybe, did I have a little bit of influence? There you go. So it could, could be. You never know. So I mean, I'm like, did I have a little bit of influence I'll, I'll for you I'll to get on that. social media? I'll, I'll give you that. I'll okay. You that. So we heard that. Okay. On the I mean, it's, it's almost, at this day and age, it's almost inevitable to not, to, to not be on social media is a disservice to you because you have to incorporate, as a filmmaker, you want to be creative, but nowadays it's all about the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And social media is a direct link to that entrepreneurial spirit because mm-hmm. you can kind of build, like I said, you build your own brand, build your own fan base using just social media. So to not use it is a disservice to yourself. Yeah. So. so I'm just letting you know, I've quoted that. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking responsibility, take responsibility. For, for all that, what you just said, for all what right. he just said about social media. I'm taking that credit. Okay. So. That's cool. You can have it. You I, I just it. took that. Cause I, I feel like that conversation was said about social media at, you know, way back. Yeah, it's it moons ago. It was yeah, moons I was ago. at a coffee bean. Yeah, we talked about ago. social media. That is very so true. So I, you know, true. I don't, I don't know if I had the final say, but yeah. I, I, I give it up because, like I know. say, it was not on my radar. I was like, man, I'm trying to do this, this, and this. And yeah, I was like, I was shocked to know yeah. that you weren't on social yeah, media like not, that. Yeah, but like I said, I'm, I'm no fool, and I realized, like, yo, I, I don't really have a choice in the matter. And I, like I said, it's not like I have nothing to promote. I have things to talk about. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to be talking about my personal life on there. So mm-hmm. it's a whole different. It's totally separate things. I can use the social media to my benefit. Mm-hmm. So I should. It's not like it costs anything. So why not? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, you should blast out all your stuff. Yeah. So on Periscope, we can find out and everyone listening. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, because after you leave, if you're not on social media, they're like, man, that guy was really interesting. I don't know. Yeah, where's he at? Where's yeah. he at now? Yeah. What's he doing now? I'm a fan of his work. I yeah. want to stay in contact and ask questions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And I'll be launching my website. It's... 
I'm still it's it's in building phase. We're in like final phase of building. I'll be launching in the next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact. So okay. I will put all that on my uh, social media pages as well. Let okay. you know where that is. So it's gonna be on Instagram. Yeah, and I have more more of Twitter. my works as well, so okay. you can see more of my short stuff and everything like that. Okay, so there yeah. we go. Yeah. So. Follow. Give him some followers. There you go. On yeah. those social media. Get, get my follow game oh, up. Get, get your follow game up. Get my follow game up. Yeah. yeah. We, I believe in you. You're going to get this. I you, appreciate that. He's going to, you know, get a handle of this social media yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's a go. You know, yeah, pat myself in the back for doing that. Oh, <laughs> Megan. All right. Yeah. So thank you guys. And for my Twitter, if you guys are watching on Periscope, obviously you know what it is. But it is bacon, eating Megan. Bacon, like the word eating. No G, Megan, M-E-G-A-N. And then on Instagram, it's Megan A. Weaver, M-E-G-A-N, the letter A, Weaver. And for those watching on Periscope, the podcast is M-E-G-A-N, the letter A, Weaver.podbean.com. So you guys can listen to past podcasts, listen to this one again, which will be out in two weeks. So not this Monday coming up, but the following Monday. And thank you so much for listening. You can hit us up for questions, find out everything that Carl is doing, find out what I'm doing, and get that five-month-old in something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to see this five-month-old in a newborn, in a newborn uh, full house, full house <laughs> Florida campaign. I'm like, oh, that's the baby. That's the but baby. I don't even know what the baby looks like. So Get a Pampers commercial. Yeah, get a Pampers commercial. There work. you go. So best of luck and success for, for that young lady and her baby, and her new marriage, and everybody else that's been listening and watching. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. All right. Have a good one. Peace. Bye.